one of the best known characters in the Christmas story, is not actually in the Bible and probably played no role in it, if he even existed at all. And yet in every childhood Christmas pageant that we've ever seen or been a part of, somebody played the innkeeper. The innkeeper is not in Scripture. We don't know if there even was an innkeeper. We don't know anything about him if he was there. And yet we have always thought of somebody telling Mary and Joseph there's no room in the inn. I want us to look at what Scripture does say about that night where they had no room. Look with me in the traditional story of Christmas, Luke chapter 2, and we're just going to look at verse 7. This is really the, uh, the only reference to the inn, and it says in verse 7, she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And that word inn means really guest room. It was a familiar, a common practice for uh, those who could to have their one room dwelling and then have another fenced-in area. Sometimes it didn't even have a top to it, but it was a, a fenced-in area so there was some security. Sometimes there might have been a roof. And that extra room was the guest room. Matter of fact, this is the very same word that was used when Jesus tells his disciples to go and talk to, talk to that man and see if we can use the guest room, the upper room. When he met with his disciples, that word was, is the same word that's used here, translated as in. Now the reason that it's translated in was, has more to do with the, the event that was happening and the, the, the time than it does the purpose of that room. In other words, you and I have always pictured kind of a Motel 6, you know, and there's this mean curmudgeon at the door saying, we don't have any room, go away. But in actuality, it was, it was a, just a guest room. However, since the king had declared that everybody had to go back to their, uh, their, the city from which their family came so that they could count everybody up and make sure they were getting all the taxes, because of that, there was this, this huge group of people who showed up at Bethlehem. And so certainly there were a number of these guest rooms that were then open to people who could come in, may have been charged something, but this would have been just one big open room. And many people were there. So Mary and Joseph find this big room wherever, wherever they had stopped, and it is full. They have no place to lay down. And so there's no room for them in the inn. Now traditionally, when we talk about the fact that there's no room in the inn, we, we usually talk about the fact that it's a shame that, that those people had no room 
for Jesus. He deserved better. They should have had room for him, should have made room for him. And then that usually leads our discussion to uh, kind of a more personal application in which we say, have you made room for Jesus? Is there room in your heart for Jesus this Christmas? And I think that those are probably fair applications. However, I think that, that the, the reason that Dr. Luke included that in the story has a whole lot more to do with Jesus himself than with us. This morning, I want us to look just a little bit deeper and look at it from a different angle. Because I think when it says there was no place for them in the end, it's actually telling us something about Jesus. Look at that manger. There shouldn't be a baby there. But there he is. There, there shouldn't be a baby in a feeding trough. But there he is. He's the king of kings. He should be in a palace. But there he is. He should be surrounded by angels, not animals. Yet there he is. He should be wearing royal robes of glory, not common rags. Yet, there he is. The creator should be looking down on his creation, not laying in the midst of it. Yet, there he is. The omnipotent son of God shouldn't be a helpless baby. Yet, there he is. The owner of all that exists shouldn't be born into poverty, yet there he is. The Lord of Lords should, should not live in oppression, and yet there he is. Do you see him? Look at that dirty, smelly cattle stall. There he is. There was no room for them. So they went to the stable. And when he was born, they laid him in a feeding trough. Our verse says she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes. For them, that was, that was rags. Swaddling clothes just means that it, it, it wrapped him up enough that he, he felt like a hug. He felt, he felt comfort and laid him in a manger. The word manger is not a word that we use in normal, regular life, and so we, we sometimes forget what, it, what that means. And it, was, it would have been just a very rough wooden box, really. And they'd put hay in that little box, and the animals would eat out of that box. It was, it was a feeding trough. It says they laid him in a manger because there was no place for him in the end. The, the cattle stall, if you will, would not have been a barn like you and I are used to. It is most likely 
just a cave that either naturally formed in the side of the hill or, or perhaps was, was hewn, was cut out. And it wouldn't have been very deep, just enough to fit a couple of critters in there at night. But that's the only shelter that they could find. And so they huddled together in the cold, in the darkness. And Mary finally has the baby. And what do you do with a newborn baby when you're sitting in a cattle stall? You wrap him up best you can and you lay him on the softest thing you can find, which is hay. You put him in a feeding trough. You see, the story is not about the innkeeper. It's only, it's only partly about making sure that we make room for him in our lives. The story is really about who he is and who he became. It's about what he gave up and why. So this morning I want to show you some of the things that that manger reminds us of. The manger reminds us, first of all, that he became one of us. The manger reminds us that he became one of us. He was literally physically born that night. Now, he always has been, the Son of God always has been. God the Father never created God the Son. God the Son has always been from eternity past and will always be eternity on. He, he is the one who is and was and is to come. He is always. However, it is that Son of God who took on humanity and was born a real birth. He started human life exactly the same way all of us did. And in John chapter 1, it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's the key. The Word became flesh. The Word is Jesus Himself. It is the Son of God. It is Jesus. He became flesh so that He might dwell among us. And we've seen Him, it says. The manger reminds us that he became one of us. He entered into the human experience and became a part of the human race so he could be the human sacrifice to pay for human sin. The one who made us became one of us. The manger reminds us that he became one of us. Philippians 2 says it so powerfully. In, in Philippians 2, chapter or verse 4, it challenges us and it, and it says uh, not to think so much of yourself, but to think of others. And then to build on that idea, look at, look at what Paul says. Have this mind among yourselves. In other words, think like this. Think like Jesus did. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. 
And Paul says that's the way you want to look at each other, the way Jesus looked at us, who gave up the realms of glory and instead put on humanity and was laid in a feeding trough in a barn. He said, have that mind among you so that you're not thinking of self, but you're thinking of others. Jesus put on humanity in order that he could say to us, God is with you. That is the major theme of the Bible, I'm convinced. The major theme of the Bible is that God is reconciling us to himself. Emmanuel, God with us, is his name. In Matthew chapter 1, it says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. That's quoting from one of the Old Testament prophets. And it says that, that his name will be Emmanuel. Matthew then goes on with a little parenthetical phrase, and he explains to us that that word Emmanuel means God with us. Here, he has chosen to take on humanity and to become one of us. Instead of ruling in heaven, he chose to live with us. There was one, once a, a group of children in a, in a church and they were working on their Christmas pageant. They had four or five rehearsals and during those rehearsals, there was one little five-year-old boy he was supposed to be in the drama, but I, I think he was a shepherd that year or something. Uh, you know, he was just so energetic, and he couldn't, he couldn't focus. And the director is trying to, to, to herd the, the kids, you know, and, and get them together, and he's trying to manage the rehearsal. Rehearsal after rehearsal, this kid is just bouncing all over the place. He's running behind the stage. He's coming. He's, he's falling off the, the stairs. He's just not able to focus, not able to pay attention to what's going on. Well, during rehearsal, of course, baby Jesus is just this doll. They, they just have a, a, a doll there in the, in, in, in the manger, and Mary and Joseph are talking to this doll, whatever. Well, finally it becomes time for them to present their pageant. The night has come. And so they are excited uh, to, to present the pageant, and it all starts, and, and the kids all uh, show up, and, and they're, they're in their costumes, and they do a great job, and it's going so beautifully. It's going so well until that little five-year-old shepherd looks over. And now that it's the real pageant, instead of a doll, in the manger, there's a real live baby. And that little shepherd boy drops his crook and he runs over to the manger and he says, Mommy, he's alive! And that is the essence of the story. He is alive. He became one of us. He took on our lives. He took on the human experience. He became one of us. Do you see him? Look at that dirty, smelly cattle stall. There he is. The manger also reminds us that he was born into poverty. 
When you think that there's no room in the inn, so they put him in a feeding trough, it's a reminder of the kind of life that he lived. Not only that he did come and that he was born, but what kind of life was that? The manger reminds us that he was born into poverty. He wasn't born into a cushy castle or a spacious palace or a magnificent mansion. He didn't choose a powerful race or a wealthy family. He was born into oppression, poverty, and suffering. And he never outgrew that. Later on as an adult, somebody says, Hey, I want to follow you. Where are you going? And Jesus says to him, Foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You see, he was born into poverty and lived that life throughout. He humbled himself and experienced the worst this life has to offer. Remember that next time you're hurting. He understands human suffering. He was born into poverty and he experienced it all the way through his earthly life. He understands what it is to suffer. You see that phrase that he used for himself? Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That was his favorite phrase for himself. That was the title he always used for himself. He identified with us. He is the Son of Man. He could have referred to himself as the Son of God. He could have referred to himself as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He could have referred to himself as the Lord. He could have, so many ways he could have chosen. But the one that he used over and over and over again, he called himself the Son of Man. Because he was identifying with us. He was saying, I am one of you. I get it. And the next time you are hurting, Remember the manger. Because the manger tells us that he did not choose a life of luxury when he came. He chose the hard life so that we would know he gets it, that he understands. He is prophet, priest, and king, but he came to live the hard life among his people. Do you see him? Look at that dirty, smelly cattle stall. There he is. The manger also reminds us that life is not fair. I've told you before that growing up I remember learning two things from my mother. I'm sure, I mean, I learned a lot obviously, but the two things that I remember because she she told me over and over and over again, the two things I remember learning that have affected my life and driven who I am today. One, she taught me you can do whatever you decide to do. For me, that was you can do whatever God calls you to do. And the second one, she taught us early on life is not fair. So I've never gotten upset when life didn't work the way it was supposed to in a big way. Oh, little things, yeah, but, but not a big way. Why? Because I was ready. I know life is not fair. 
the more you expect life to be fair to you, the greater your discouragement will be, the greater the letdown will be. Stop waiting and looking and expecting life to be fair to you. It is not and it will not be fair. That's a part of the fallen reality in which we live. When mankind fell, all of nature fell. Everything got messed up. Literally everything got messed up. Therefore, life is not fair. You're going to be a whole lot happier when you get that figured out and stop expecting life to be fair to you. The manger reminds us that life is not fair. There was nothing fair about how or where he was born. He entered into a messed up human experience in a fallen world where life isn't fair. It wasn't fair to him, and it won't be fair to you. You remember that great old Christmas song, Sweet Little Jesus Boy? Part of that song says, The world treats you mean, Lord. Treats me mean, too. But that's how things are done down here. We didn't know it was you. The manger reminds us that life is not fair because it's not fair that the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the author and perfecter of our faith would be overlooked, ignored, and unrecognized at his birth. It's not fair that the Mighty One, the Lord of all, was born to poor Jewish parents who had no place to stay. Do you see him? Look at that dirty, smelly cattle stall. There he is. The manger also reminds us of his humility. It reminds us of his humility. Earlier this year, I got so tired of hearing about the Duke and the Duchess who were having a baby. Harry and Megan having a baby. Now, babies are born every hour, every day, all over the world. But here's a baby. What's his name going to be? Oh, first we had to go through days of, will it be a boy or a girl, boy or a girl, boy? <laughs> and then once we figured out it was a boy, what's his name? Oh, it's a secret. Don't tell anybody. They know, but they're not saying. Oh, what's his name? <sighs> Archie. Cousin named Jughead. Archie, why were we so thrilled that Archie was born? Why did the whole world stop and pay attention when Archie was born? Because Archie is royalty. Archie deserves our attention because he's royalty. Instead of entering the world with the appropriate pomp and circumstance and celebration, our Jesus entered in obscurity, anonymity, and humility. Later, when he entered Jerusalem, he didn't come riding a war horse or a great white stallion. He entered the city streets on the back of a lowly donkey. He came to us as one of us, and he did it with no special treatment, but with humility. 
the Lord of lords and King of kings, was born in a cattle stall and laid in a feeding trough. Charles Swindoll has pointed out that he brought hope to the lowly by becoming lowly. Do you see him? Look at that dirty, smelly cattle stall. There he is. Paul summarizes all of this for us so beautifully in one verse. In 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. That's grace. That's Christmas. He gave up the riches of glory to assume the poverty of humanity. He took our sin and gave us his righteousness. By his grace, we went from being God's enemies to being God's children. By his grace, we move from death to life, from mortal to immortal, from temporal to eternal, from fallen children of Adam to reborn children of God. All because the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Do you see him? Look at that dirty, smelly cattle stall. There he is.